Hello and welcome to the Learning Council Edu Jedi Report podcast. This is your host, Leilani Cawthon, CEO and publisher at the Learning Council News Media and Research Organization and proud Edu Jedi Grandmaster. So we have with us today uh, Dr. Liz Brooke, who's the Chief Learning Officer from Lexia Learning, and also Felicia Evans, who's the principal from Lander Elementary School in Mayfield Heights, Ohio. So glad to have both of you. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, thanks for having us. Yeah. So we're going to have a hopefully a lively conversation today about this particular topic, which is recovery from a lost year of reading achievement. You know, the Learning Council has been watching a lot of data from our one minute surveys that we lob out at our national audience. We we last one we did, we got back 27,000 responses. And there's definitely a tone of, uh, you know, desperation in some places. They know they're either losing enrollment or they're losing achievement. They've been scrambling madly in so many schools and districts just to do anything with a viable sort of remote structure. And so they feel like maybe they shouldn't test kids because they're not going to make the achievement levels that they're hoping for or you know, there's a lot going on out there. And, and really, it's it's so emotional for people to just try to keep it together and all this and get kids to arrive at all when they're all remote. So we've got these gaps that are starting to appear. And, and of course, you know, all of the educators in the room and the intellectuals are like, you know what, I, I don't want this to be a lost year. I want to make this happen. So really, what we're looking at is what's happening that you can see uh, from your perspective and what's been successful. So let's, let's go on to discussing what your viewpoint is of, uh, you know, what's, what's been happening in your arena. Felicia, I'd like you to go first and talk about what changed in your role and then what, what you're seeing in terms of this quote unquote potential for a lost year in terms of recovering from that. Yeah, so I'm an elementary school principal. It's a kindergarten through fifth grade school. We've got a little over 500 little learners with us, um, and we are considered a Title I building, which means we have a larger population of students um, from low-income households. And we also have about 20 to 25 different languages that are spoken at the families um, in our school. So we've got quite a diverse setup, um, which we do really find to be a strength. Um, you know, one focus for us is because there is, like you said earlier, just so much motion around what's happening with this pandemic and you know parents concerned about lost learning is that we are really trying to focus on the fact that our children are exactly where they need to be and that is with us you know we we try and build confidence and collective efficacy with our team and understanding that we know what's best for our kids because we have the data that supports it um, and you know really just building our children's flexibility building our families independent learning skills focusing on clear learning goals you know these are all things that we want um, parents to understand and what we call our learning guardians um, to understand that that we are really, although it may appear that we have lost learning, we are really also building some strengths um, with our children that we think will then last them, you know, and, and hopefully in, in the end when, you know, when this is all said and done, they really have picked up some, some new skills um, that maybe they wouldn't have had before. Yeah. And that whole part, what you just described is a lot of bringing order to a new structure, right? Mm -hmm. So we could probably talk about that for an hour. We won't, but, you know, there's a whole thing about how you manage and recruit your families, your parents, and because you've now deputized all of them. So that, that could be a whole rabbit hole we go down because that's a 
that's another whole conversation we've been hearing about all over the country. So you're using a particular solution and uh, I'd like to, you know, invite Liz in to talk about kind of what she's seen overarchingly in this topic of, you know, the lost year, lost achievement. Go ahead, Liz. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I love Felicia, what you were saying about some of those, you know, new skills that we can focus on the, the lost learning, but we can also focus on the new skills that these um, learners will gain out of this. And I think you said something else about, you know, using data that you have. And, and that's one of the things that I think what I've been trying to help schools and districts think about, you know, nobody has been through this, I mean, unless you were <laughs> 1908, but nobody's been through this. And um, the idea that we don't want to throw everything out and start from scratch, right? We want to use and leverage those systems that we've put in place that we know have been effective in the past. And one of those things is using data to help understand, you said it, we, the best place they can be is with us because we understand them working with the family, working with the community. So one of the things at Lexia that we've seen across um, this period is that if we can help schools to leverage the systems um, that were working, leverage the systems that were um, put into place, but looking at them now through that lens of remote learning, then um, we're gonna be in a better situation and not all hope is lost and we don't have to start from scratch. Yeah, Liz, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we are in our third year of implementation of using the Lexia Core 5 program with our children. And so like saying a lost year is like a really big subject subjective thing to say, but when we actually sit down with parents and we show where children are within kind of that learning track within um, Lexia Core 5, then parents are, start to understand and see, okay, this isn't really a lost year. Like, this is where my child is. This is what we're moving towards. Um, and all of those are conversations that are based on data that we're able to have with our teachers, that we're able to have with their learning guardians, with their families, that we're able to have with children. Um, and so kind of everybody who supports the kids are all on the same page. And, and it, it sets out a very nice, clear path for learning. So what might sound like or look like a year of lost learning is really not when we dig down into the data and we see specifically where kids are and where they need to go. That's an amazing thing. And, and I think uh, what we're really saying here is we titled this whole podcast as, you know, recovery from a lost year. And, and you guys are not really having to try to even recover because you're already in a position. You had a tool, you had a system. Uh, so you're you're rocking and rolling, whereas a lot of other places haven't gotten there yet, and I'm really concerned about them. Go ahead, Liz. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, um, you know, it, it's great. But at Lexia, our programs are what we call an adaptive blended learning framework. So even when um, schools and, and learners were in the traditional classroom, there is a component of online learning, um, which, you know, that's you can leverage the data in the AI sense, right? All the clicks of the mouse and, and taps of the iPad are being captured, but then we partner the AI with the HI, the human intelligence, the educators, and we empower the educators as the center of the learning um, through that data to try to help them understand where their students are. To Felicia's point, they understand their students because of that data. So when we had this shift, 
schools that had been using Lexia or other blended learning programs, it seamlessly transitions from, you know, kind of that bricks to clicks or classroom to cloud, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, the students are familiar with it, which again, getting to, to some of that, um, you know, feeling of comfort because it's something familiar that the teachers are familiar with it. And sure, I'm not saying it was easy to, to transition because how do you deliver a lesson virtually over, you know, Google Classroom instead of face-to-face, -face? but those components were there and that foundation was there. So schools that have not had something like that in place were at more of a, a disadvantage and were kind of a little bit scrambling, to your point of the title of this um, podcast, scrambling a little bit to figure out how can they not have it be a whole year of learning loss. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about the emotional side and the, um, you know, the care factor of the human side. I'm a huge proponent of people looking at what's going on with technology and teaching and learning in K-12 from the viewpoint of, you know, technology is really great, um, but it should be actually providing enough uh, automation in order to highlight and elevate the human interface so that you really have quality interactions. So back to you, uh, Felicia, I can you talk a little bit more about what this solution has done for you? Yeah, I mean, it, so when we think about that idea of using data, you know, when, when we look at Lexia and our children are using the Lexia program, it really does highlight areas of, of intervention. So it's sort of the kids are working and then they kind of hit this, this kind of moment or a red flag moment, as we call it. And then what the program does is it sends a flag to our staff that, hey, this child is struggling with this specific skill. They need that human touch, as you were, uh, were exactly speaking of. They need someone to come in and directly teach them this skill to help move them forward in their learning progression. Um, and so when we went remote last year, we, we kind of had this set of paraprofessionals um, in our school. And I know a lot of people were struggling with what do you do with paraprofessionals in a, you know, in a remote classroom? Um, and so what we actually did was we, we took our paraprofessionals and kind of transformed their role into being academic coaches. Um, and because the Lexia platform gives such nice data paired with such nice interventions, we were able to um, use our paraprofessionals in, in an academic coaching sense and then target them to the students that were showing that they needed the interventions and then be able to quickly have those interventions at their fingertips in order to provide them. Um, so it was really transforming that role of um, just being able to use everybody we have to be able to support the learning of the students. And if, if we didn't have a Lexia program in the way it, in which it functions, we wouldn't um, have been able to do that. Um, another real kind of unintended benefit that I found was, you know, once children were at home or maybe they were in a daycare or some type of setting outside of our school, Lexia does have a nice learning progression, so parents or learning guardians or whoever is working with that child can explicitly see how we are teaching those basic reading fundamentals. So what might have been abstract before for parents or for families, 
really became more concrete because they they began to see, okay, this is really what my child is doing. This is really how we take phonemes and then, you know, turn them into reading sounds and then turn them into, you know, letter sounds and then, you know, turn them into segmenting and blending and rhyming and really understanding kind of the science behind the teaching of reading. It kind of illuminated that um, for our families. And, and I think that was kind of an unintended benefit, um, kind of opening up our playbook of, of reading instruction um, for parents and families to be able to really see ways that they could also support their child offline from the program. I love that. I love everything that you just said. And so I'm getting this picture, right? And then I'm going to come back to you, Liz, to comment on this. And that is, you know, this is a, this is a solution. This isn't just a tool, right? This isn't just like email where you just have to route everybody, you know, here's your directions. This is actually capturing the content and facilitating it in an orderly fashion both with the knowledge that you should have as well as the reading material um, along sort of tracks that allow, you know, to sort of organize the humans around that in order to really help a child progress. And it takes a lot of the hard work that is in the, let's just say, you know, Google Docs world of trying to organize everything yourself individually, file everything, sort it out, email it to everybody at the right moment at the right time, send them where they got to log in somewhere else, all those other kind of things. I mean, you know, not a real big hit on Google because, you know, they're great. But the thing is, until you have a system of this magnitude, you haven't done everything that you've just said, Felicia, which is, you know, organizing it so that people can understand the path of learning easily. And, the, and they're and they're sort of brought in to this this group of like okay we're all in this together and the and the technology is facilitating us actually getting this done with this particular student which I which I love and that's really what technology should be doing it shouldn't be like more work um, it should right. be right. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. And it's real time, right? Because the students are using it every day. So it's not like, you know, in a traditional kind of summative assessment world where we would kind of give like a checkpoint on paper and pencil and then the teacher would have to grade it and the teacher would have to find assessments aligned and then maybe give those to a paraprofessional or, you know, do them do them themselves. It is really, really real time, um, which we know is, is so important in terms of just reading development that the students are getting kind of the intervention at the time that they need need it. Um, and so just, you know, just the real time benefit of that is, is huge as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think can, if I can jump in on that point, because not only the real time data, um, you know, as you said, Felicia, not waiting till the end of the year to find out, oh, wow, this student didn't learn what he or she needed to, but real time every day, that daily, weekly, monthly progress monitoring, but then you layer on top of it this current situation and how can you do that in a remote environment at scale, right? You talked about almost 500 learners and how do you um, replace the teachers observing in the classroom, you know, doing checklists with the students. All of that is, is really important part of informing them. And so I think our assessment without testing, which is, um, I always describe it as ice cream without calories because it's just that good. Um, but that idea of not stopping your instruction time um, to test, but every click of the mouse or tap of the iPad is, is helping to create that picture for that um, teacher, for that human intelligence, right? So 
I think Leilani, you mentioned about technology should be used in a way that empowers um, the educators and that's exactly how we see it and leveraging technology for what it can do best, right? So maybe repetition and practice with the student because the teacher is not able to get to all 30 students for those um, time periods, but giving that remote um, access to that real-time data that's so valuable, but still needs to happen in this remote world is something we're excited that we've been able to do um, through that assessment without testing. Yeah, and what you just described um, lays down this line of demarcation that the Learning Council talks about a lot because, you know, kind of UI, UX experts, we're experts in user interface, user experience. And most of education really talks about technology as a tool. Like it's something that is a little widget that, you know, performs the function of like a calculator or, or it's a document, right? Like it's a digital document and you can email it around kind of a thing, or you can enter data into a system. Um, and they, they tend to look at it as something that is sort of a, a augmentation of existing ways that teachers do things. Whereas what's happening with a solution like this, is it's more than a tool, it's an automation. It automates some of the distribution of the knowledge function and it does what you're talking about with the ice cream analogy, which is awesome. Um, you're talking about it's doing things along the way that the teacher now doesn't have to do. She didn't have to, or he didn't have to remember to zing that little assessment over at this exact interval when the student was in that particular piece of text is doing that. So now what you're talking about is a workload shift, which is again, that refinement now of what the human interaction side has to be because the machine is doing some of that uh, distribution of pieces of the learning journey rather than the teacher having to manually distribute all the, even though it's on technology, manually distribute all those individual pieces. That's really where technology is going to go even further along the way. And it's all because then it elevates the, the teacher's, you know, uh, human interface to be perfected so that the teacher is zeroing in on exactly that point where up, oh, we need to do some directed instruction with little Isabella. Um, or Henry or whoever, because this is the, where the sticking point, right? Like, so, so then no child, uh, doesn't achieve. Like, this is where the lost year symbolism gets wiped out because now this automation comes sweeping in and it says, we can fix this. We can fix everyone. And, and I think that's a really an amazing thing to say. It's just huge. It's just really huge. Right. right. Go ahead, Felicia, sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I think it's maximizing the time that we have the attention of the children as well, right? You know, there are concerns out there, obviously, about screen time and, you know, kids in a remote environment, and even kids at school with all of this technology, um, you know, are we, are, is it too much screen time? And so what we, you know, have conversations with families about is that we want our children to have screen time where they're interacting, when they're not just consuming, not just watching something, right, where they're actually interacting with the technology as the most beneficial use of technology and kind of use of that, of that screen time, you know, that we can have and use of our instructional time as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I look forward to this kind of increase in, in technological tools that can really, 
um, interact with children and be responsive to the needs of children. Um, I think there's a lot of benefit in that. Yeah, that's a really great point. The interaction aspect of it not being a flat digital document only, right? It's not flat. It's got dynamic action to it. That's amazing. Liz? Yeah, I was just going to say, and, and you spoke to this, Felicia, really our, our aim is to allow those precious moments when the teacher is interacting with a small group of students or individual students to be really targeted and time efficient. And this, this um, methodology allows not only for those students who are struggling, but those students who are working above grade level to A, have, have that runway um, that scope and sequence we talked about earlier that is designed around the science of reading, but allows that student to be able to go beyond the grade level material, but he or she may still be struggling on something. And so it, it is intervention in a way, but it's not only for those who are behind. Um, but again, it, it automates it in the sense of allowing it, I don't want it to sound like it's this silver bullet because um, certainly it, it is that human intelligence that takes that data, takes that connection with their students, um, but we want to allow that educator to be really focused um, and then also keeping those students engaged when they're in the screen time with something that is appropriately targeted at their level, right? It's personalized so it's more engaging because they're not either frustrated or bored, but they're they're at a level that is um, appropriate to them. Right, and it's about equity and access, right? It's it's about providing the children what they need at the time that they need it. You know, I, I can name stories of, and I can see their their faces and give you their names, but just of of children who on both sides of the coin, you know, came into our kindergarten classrooms and. Um, you know, we were able to get them connected with Lexia and using Lexia and push them into reading at first and second grade levels, you know, and then, you know, the opposite side of that, children who might come in without any preschool experience, um, and because there are pre-K skills that are built into Lexia, you know, we're able to kind of drill down the instruction to just those basic, basic fundamentals, you know, of the reading process. You know, so there's just, you're right, there's just so many different ways that, you know, we can use this to both challenge students and, and also to, to provide those students the, the extra support that they might need that a teacher might not be able to just individually provide for every child. Um, one other component of this that I've found beneficial as well is the removal of bias, right? In, in the human situation, you know, in, in the human psyche, there's bias that comes in. And, and you know, sometimes um, without even knowing it, teachers might make a decision about does a child need this challenge or does a child need this, you know? Um, and so with the use of artificial intelligence and some of this as, of this technology, the, the computer doesn't know what the child looks like, right? They, they don't know, you know, what to expect or to have any assumptions or to have any bias towards a child. They just, you know, the, the, the machine simply knows that this is where the child needs to go next in the learning. Um, and so I think there are some fascinating things that can come out of just, just equity work and, and understanding how sometimes when we remove the bias by the use of technology, we can sometimes close gaps and push kids further than maybe we thought we could. Yeah, I'd love that, Felicia. That's something, you know, we've talked about equity, but I haven't thought about it from the lens of the, the bias, that unconscious bias that we sometimes, um, as teachers, I'm a former um, teacher myself, so you either 
want to support the student in their answer on the assessment. So you might give them credit for something or you might bring in pre-existing you know, expectations. Um, so I, I love that idea as well. Um, I think we think about equity um, as not providing the same resources, but providing specific resources to provide the same opportunities to succeed. And by having um, the scope and sequence based in the science of reading um, allows, as the situation, Felicia, you talked about in kindergarten, whether you have students reading on a third grade level or those that are, are coming in really more at a pre-K level, um, and helping the, the educator manage those, you know, 24, 25, sometimes 35 profiles of students and again, making their time together more, more effective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's this other angle that a lot of people don't talk about, but I love this angle in terms of uh, equity. And that is, you know, you're, you, you live within a system where not every child needs to be in the same exact uh, book or text if they're reading and, and they get to choose sometimes, you know, like you can frame around, here's your different choices, which has a huge impact on students being interested, you know, uh, little people have their preferences for what they're interested in. And, you know, one child may think this topic for this particular text is horrible and boring. And, and so that becomes another level of equity, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, interest alone can drive your learning. So I think it's time for us to tell a few little stories. If you guys have them, you know, uh, you don't have to say specific student names or anything, but you know, what do you, what have you seen Felicia? Like, in terms of students just lighting up? Well, I, I, I have seen, and we've really worked a lot with just personalized learning goals, you know, and helping students identify how many minutes and how many units that they need to meet each week. Um, but specifically, we had a kindergartner who came in to us a couple years ago, did not have any preschool experience, um, and in working through the Lexia program and partnering with the teacher, we were able to move the student light years beyond anywhere anywhere we, we ever thought that we could. Um, and now actually going into second grade, this little guy, we were actually, um, he just finished his assessment for gifted and has actually just picked up a gifted uh, reading identification. Um, so it goes to show you, you know, a child who came in with no school experiences, no preschool, nothing, um, you know, we were we were able to use this program to really push him to to the place where he needed to be. So it's, it's and there's many stories, you know, many stories like that of just being able to meet the needs of all kids, um, knowing that our teachers resources are, are stretched so thin um, that they are really able to to kind of widen their net and widen their arms um, and reach all of their learners. Amazing. I love that. Liz. I love that story too. I, yeah, I think um, at the end of each of the levels, um, whether in core five or, or power up our program for older students, um, we do a lot of self monitoring. So there's, um, you talked about the user interface, there's ways, you know, and we do it differently for the younger students and the older students, but that engagement of them seeing their own competency be built, whether it's, you know, um, the circles on the screen filling in, or at the end of each unit, there's a little two to three second video 
you know, celebrating their success that they completed this. And then at the end of a whole level, there's a bigger animation, there's a certificate. So even those students that um, in, you see it in, in some of the, you know, more shy students or whatever, their eyes, you, you mentioned their eyes lighting up. I even saw it in my own nephew this past weekend, he finished a level and I, I just, his eyes lit up and even, you know, he's not necessarily a struggling reader, but just finishing this level and seeing his accomplishment, he was so proud and wanted to share it, um, you know, with his parents. And, and like you said, Felicia, the learning guardians, I think getting a deeper appreciation in all of this for many things, <laughs> including <laughs> teachers and, and their, um, their jobs, but seeing the development of reading skills in their own children and seeing that progress both visually on the screen, but in their eyes of, of their children is really, that's what it's all about. That's, that's really priceless. Yeah, I love how you talked about celebrating kids. That's definitely one thing that we found as well is just being able to celebrate those little moments when they pass a level and give them their certificates. And um, we have we created a little bulletin board in our hallway where it was a it's a bubble gum machine, and then anytime a student um, passes a level, and we've got 500 students, so we put a. a little bubble gum ball with their name on it in the hallway. And then, you know, by the end of the year, we had an entire bulletin board and half of our wall filled with, with bubble gum balls for, for all of the success, you know, of our students. Um, but those are just little ways to be able to celebrate, you know, all kids and to, to celebrate learning, um, which is important for them. Yeah, I love that how this is personal, not just personalized. You know, they all get their little bubble gum thing. You know, that's, just, that's, that's amazing. So Liz, can you tell me a little bit deeper now uh, as we're going through this, give me a little bit more idea of the UI UX. Give me a little bit more detail on that and the analytics part, like visual, give, give me a visual. Sure. So, and again, as I mentioned, we have our program core five, which is designed for students of all abilities in pre-K to fifth grade. And then we have Power Up, which is designed more for struggling students in middle school and high school. And although we wanted both programs and both programs cover those foundational reading skills, we obviously had to have a different UI UX um, for the younger students and the older students. But we really tried to follow kind of three principles of, of motivation, getting towards intrinsic motivation. Um, which stems from something called the self-determination theory um, by Ryan and DC, but one is autonomy. So the students have a dashboard where they have choice. Even though it's a forced choice, it's a choice. Um, and so they have a dashboard, um, talking about the, the younger program now uh, at the elementary school, that the dashboard has five activities and they get to decide which activity they wanna go into that day. So that's one element, the autonomy. The second one is competency. And so they can see them developing skills. They can see the circles, each circle that they're choosing, the activity has units and they're filling in that circle. They can see a progress bar in the middle of every single activity. Um, as they go through that activity down at the bottom of the screen. So another big thing is celebrating their success, celebrating them building competency. And the third piece is relevancy. 
and how do I, how does this relate to me? So that idea of interest and the different stories, but also how am I, how am I uh, relating to my peers and celebrating peers? And we do that through things like polls, um, you know, and they get to see responses for other students across the country who are in that same unit. So for the older students, we do that in similar fashion, but just a more mature interface. There's um, a little bit more of that social um, aspect in it of likes and dislikes and thumbs up, thumbs down and, and streaks and some more of that gaming, but it all is quick and gets them right back to, to time on task. So hopefully um, you can see in Core 5, we have um, 21 levels, and those levels take place around the world. So the students get to see this globe, and they get to travel and learn about all of these 21 locations. And then in our older program, we have different themes. Um, again, always trying to build that background knowledge as they learn and go about their, their learning. Yeah, and I love all with the whole picture that you just painted because, you know, if we're going to recover from a lost year, we have to make it, you know, uh, something that you can traverse individually, but also uh, so thrilling that you're just you're you want to do it un until bedtime, you know, as a student. Right. And um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that another thing, if I can interject, is all of those things are important. The engagement and the, the fun aspect of it, certainly. Um, but the other big piece that is the foundation of what we do at Lexia is efficacy. And this is, you know, one thing as schools are thinking about, there's a lot of programs out there that are maybe offering them um, for free or, you know, at a, a very discounted rate. And it might seem like a great um, opportunity because budgets might be tight and we need to get something in place quickly. But the idea that um, Core 5 and Power Up are not only fun and engaging and built on the science of reading, but they've been proven in rigorous research studies to make a big difference and make a big difference within one school year. So this idea of urgency, um, and we don't have another year to waste on a program that hasn't been proven effective in, in rigorous research. So I think that's another thing as schools are thinking about finding a blended approach, finding something that has elements, whether it's Lexia or another program, I would just ask them to focus on making sure that it's been proven effective with the population of students that you're thinking about using it with. Perfect, yeah, good comment. Uh, all right, so let's let's go forward here. What are, what, let's have each of you answer this and what are your hopes? for other schools and districts in terms of their recovery from the last year. If, if you were them and, uh, you know, maybe just sort of, you did a mad scramble, you threw devices out to all the students and then if people were, you know, just trying to, you know, surf around and find stuff to use um, and they were sort of looking at this last year, what, what would be your hopes that they would sort of think with now? Kalisha? I, I think that I would hope that they take an evidence-based approach. You know, I think what Liz talked about is really important because kind of as educators, we're inundated with 
lots of different magic bullets. Um, but I think when you dig deep and you really look below, you know, the surface, um, all of the components that Lexia does have kind of checks all those boxes that you need as a school leader. You know, it, it, I'm able to have a 30,000 foot view of where my teachers are at, where my students are at. You know, I can look at, you know, curriculum um, decisions through through the lens of looking at our Lexia report. So, so I think that I would hope that um, that, that schools, school leaders really take an evidence-based approach when they're choosing ways to support their students. And I think that, you know, how we started the conversation talking about data, then they can stop just saying it's a, you know, a lost year and really be able to drill down to specifically what the needs of their students are um, and, and, and help grow them forward and, and unleash the potential for the rest of the school year. Good. Love it. And Liz? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think obviously the efficacy piece is really important and something to not get lost again as as um, people are reaching out for something maybe more quickly. I think flexibility <laughs> um, and ongoing progress monitoring of your plan, um, the idea that we need to do that for students learning and we need to do that of our remote learning plans um, I know things are changing on a day-to-day -day basis, so really being flexible, um, leaning on that village, the, the learning guardians, the communities, the businesses, um, your educators um, in the schools and districts, um, and really, again, monitoring the system, building um, on what you know works. Don't throw everything out and feel like you have to start um, from scratch, and maybe most importantly, um, making sure that we we give, um, at, whether it's as an educator, principal, superintendent, um, learning guardian, or the students, everybody giving themselves a little bit of um, leniency or a little bit of a break in that we're not going to get everything perfect. Um, and we, we need to set realistic expectations, but still, um, again, <laughs> don't, don't give up um, trying to reach those goals, but giving ourselves a little bit of a break along the way mm -hmm. um, and leaning on each other for that support as we're being flexible and have to adapt in this um, environment. Exactly. Good. Excellent comment, because it's true. Uh, we need to have sort of both angles. <laughs> so excellent. All right. So thank you both. Uh, you've been listening to the Learning Council EduJedi Report podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Cawthon, and I'll see you here next time for another report live from the front lines of the EduJedi battle in education.